everyone, and welcome to the Open Mic Podcast. My name is Caroline. I'm a junior at Columbia University, and I'm so excited to be hosting this podcast where we'll be talking about school and life and everything in between. Each episode will feature a new topic and a different guest. And today, I'm so excited to introduce you to my good friend, Anton Doe. Anton, thanks for being here with me today. Hi, thanks for having me. How's everything going? Uh, it's going well. You know, I'm just being accustomed to Zoom life. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, my first Zoom since the semester ended. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, have you been home since since we moved back in March? Yeah, I've been home this entire time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we can start with if you want to give a quick intro as to who you are, your major, and kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, sure. Uh, So my name is Anton Zhou. I'm a senior in Columbia College studying visual arts and business management. Um, And I'm excited to share today my experience in both art and fitness and how I kind of balance those two um, important passions in my life. Yeah, and I think for those of you watching, I feel like if you are a Columbia student, I feel like you would have heard of Anton sometime during your college career because he's super talented in art and fitness. I think you're you're a bodybuilder, right? Or kind of? Uh, I I like to call myself one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think he has a lot to show for it. So I'm sure he has like a lot of great wisdom to share. Um, And Anton and I, we know each other. Do you remember when we first met? I think it was uh, Lunar Gala, right? I think so. Was that like two years ago? Yeah, somewhere around that time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So Lunar Gala is the, there's a Chinese students club at Columbia and they host culture events and culture shows. And so we both were in the the fashion show for that one. And then we did Max, which is the Korean Student Association um, culture show. So that was (laughs) another fashion one. And yeah, it was fun. And I also think, I don't know if you, you remember this, but I, so we both were in spec at one point, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was in spec, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't recall seeing you like around. Yeah. I just remember, (laughs) I don't think you knew me yet, but I, (laughs) I saw you coming out of, there's like this room at the end of the hallway and then you were doing some art filming there. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. But I didn't know you there. So I didn't like say Uh, hi or anything. But yeah, but then we got to know each other in like the the fashion stuff. Today, we're going to talk about how Anton kind of got into art and fitness, how he's managing both of those plus school. So if you want to talk about first introduce like how you got into art and fitness and if these are connected or if they kind of develop separately. Yeah, sure. So um, I'll just say that art definitely came before fitness and bodybuilding. Um I would say I kind of just grew up in an art environment. Um, you know, my parents, my whole family, they really appreciate art. And so this was, you know, this mindset was really kind of just cultivated from the beginning. Um, but, you know, art was something I've always done. And, you know, I started off as, you know, with some really like just classic training in art that kind of developed my eye for, um, you know, observing my surroundings and just kind of appreciating um, the world around me. And so, you know, as an artist, like obviously my inspiration has shifted a lot over the years. Um, and for me, the last couple of years, uh, my focus in my artistic development has been really just finding my voice, um, not so much working on like technical skill. Um, I think at some point every artist does go through that. But at the end, I think having an idea and a purpose and meaning behind your art is most important. So um, that's kind of been, been like my agenda for the last couple of years. 
Um, and then to kind of like tie that into how I got into fitness and bodybuilding, you know, um, it's it's crazy to see the connection because like a lot of people will say it's ridiculous, but you know, I, I see bodybuilding as sculpting in a way. And um, it's it's a performance art that I really admired. And, you know, when I was first exposed to like bodybuilding and whatnot, um, I didn't think I had the potential to do any of that. Um, but for me, it was kind of like in the beginning, I just had to, you know, just give it a shot and like try getting into lifting and working out. And eventually, you know, when you get, you gain confidence with that as well, you gain experience, you gain confidence and um, you eventually, you know, I, I, I started enjoying it a lot. And, you know, for me, it's not about trying to be the biggest or trying to be, <laughs> um, you know, this or that. It's just more about, you know, creating a, a masterpiece, so to say that, that I'm proud of. And that's kind of like the lens I take and the approach I take to bodybuilding. And so um, I'm glad I found that connection in the last couple of years. What age did you start getting into fitness and art? I guess like, art was really young, right? Was that? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, art was like since I would literally say just out of the womb, like I was <laughs> just into it. Um, I don't, I don't think I've started. I started like actual training until like probably maybe I was four or five. Um, I had I had, a, I had a mentor for a bit, and then, um, but other than that, like I I would say it was mostly self taught, and then just like attending different workshops and ateliers. If you guys know, if you guys don't know, ateliers are basically like um, a kind of like academic training workshops. And so, one of the ones I went to was in Florence. Actually, I went to the Florence Academy of Art the summer before I came to Columbia. Actually, and so that was like that was my last workshop actually that I attended. Um, but it's really beneficial and really kind of helped me hone in on some of my skills. Um, and then, you know, in terms of fitness, like I probably started serious bodybuilding around like, honestly, towards the end of high school. Like I've been like pretty active most of my life. I've played basketball and sports here and there. I've dabbled in different physical activities, but um, I think I wanted to stick with bodybuilding, you know, towards the end of high school because it's something I had com complete control over. And I could, you know, kind of customize it and tailor it to my um, goals, right? And so, um, yeah, I would say bodybuilding's been going on for like maybe four or five years now. I guess it is pretty intimidating, right, to go into fitness and just like go to a gym when you don't really know what you're what you're doing. Do you have any mm -hmm. advice for people? I know, like at the end of high school, beginning of college, I've noticed this trend of pe people being more into fitness and then like going to the gym more. What is your advice for that? Yeah. You know, um, for me, it's like, so one, I, from the start, I've always instilled in, instilled in myself this mindset, like, you know, don't care what anyone else thinks of you. Like, I really don't care, right? And so that's, I think that's, everyone has to have a little bit of that mindset when they start off, you know, because the gym is, you know, a place of judgment, unfortunately. There's going to be people around there just like kind of, you know, either people want to look cool or they want to like, you know, look down on others because they want to feel better. And that's just uh, unfortunate. but. You know, a lot of people start start fitness and bodybuilding because, you know, either because of like maybe some insecurity or they want to, you know, just find more control and discipline in their lives. And for me, it was kind of like a combination of both alongside just that artistic vision. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when you step into like a gym or when you start that fitness journey, it's just more about kind of filtering out the information you see online because there's, there's lots of false things just circulating and people are trying to you know, the more experienced guys trying to take advantage of the newbies and trying to sell, you know, false information that 
isn't really useful. And so, you know, my advice would be just to look at kind of like, don't look at the most popular figures, but look at people in your inner circle. Like look at your friends who, who might be more into fitness. Chances are they'll be a better mentor for you and they'll be more genuine within their interactions. And, you know, tag along with them, go to the gym with them, ask for advice. Don't be afraid to go across the gym and ask for advice, right? I mean, I used to be intimidated like that as well, but, you know, the more experience you can gain, the more wisdom you can gain from those around you, um, it accumulates and eventually you'll be able to kind of figure out a game plan for yourself as the years go by. Mm-hmm. Did you also have a mentor figure in your life with regard to, to fitness at the end of yeah. it? Yeah, you know, I mean, definitely I would say a couple, um, but because I've, I've worked with personal trainers in the gyms before and these guys like, you know, kind of helped me lay the foundation, helped me understand the fundamentals of training and lifting. Um, and on top of that, just like, again, like I said, just not being afraid to talk to the bigger guys in the gym and just like, like asking them, you know, how they got to where they were and what advice did they have for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really does come full circle because now I find myself in a position where I'm helping others out and, um, you know, there's, there's it's, really, it's a really beautiful process. You, know, you just got to stick with it and believe in the transfer of knowledge, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it because everyone has to start somewhere, right? No one is born being like a Hulk or like a, a bodybuilder. So I feel, yeah. I feel like most people are nice enough and most people understand that it's like a good way to, to kind of pass down the knowledge generation after generation. And I guess just like thinking about your, your passions for both art and fitness, like how are you balancing that? How are you managing that? Because I feel like in college, like even without without um like outside art projects it's like with all your classes already it's pretty hard to block out time in your schedule to go to the gym so how are you how are you managing that yeah I mean I'll be honest like I go insane every day honestly like I just (laughs) I don't know how I manage it really but um one thing I will say is that you know kind of to preface this whole college experience like in high school I, I found myself pretty disciplined already um I think all of us were too because we were all very competitive in high school to some extent you know, trying to, you know, make ourselves stand out in the college application process, I guess. Um, but, you know, when I entered college, I figured, you know, I probably have more autonomy and I wouldn't have to deal with a lot of just like random um, things that I had to deal with in high school. Um, but even then, like with this extra time I felt like I had, it was just like, I, I found a way to fill, fill that time with, you know, other things I wanted to pursue. And one of them being like bodybuilding and fitness because I didn't have time for that in high school, really. I just went to the gym casually. But, you know, time management is just, it's something that you really have to work on. It truly is a skill, I think. And for me, you know, finding, being able to harmonize these different passions is what makes time management um, less of a burden for me because when I feel like these activities are less um, they're more connected. I feel like, you know, they flow together more seamlessly. And so mm-hmm. like when I block out my time for art or fitness, like, you know, I'll work on art like in the evening or throughout the night and go to the gym sometime in the afternoon. And the rest of my day is just filled with classes and homework, club activities. And so, um, you know, you really just got to maximize the hours in the day. Like <laughs> it's easy to say, but like, it just, you got to take it one step at a time, really, you know, 
wake up an hour earlier or, you know, just, you know, find a way to just get things done, honestly. I mean, um, you know, it's a very tiring process, but it's really rewarding at the same time. What time would you wake up and what time would you go to bed and what would your daily schedule look like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, a good day for me, a, a normal day for me would be waking up at seven, you know, Oh, and wow. then that's impressive for college <laughs> student. Yeah, for I think that's that's the thing though. I think for it's like we 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 think of like stereotypical college life schedules, and we think of like seven as being early. And I think mm-hmm. that's like something that has to kind of shift a little bit, you know, because <laughs> um, seven is not that early. If I'm being honest, it's, just, it's like a normal waking up hour, <laughs> and so you know, going to sleep might be like. 11, 1130 mats, um, because I really do believe in adequate sleep and helping, you know, sleep driving performance throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll have exceptions, of course, here and there. Like if I'm working on a painting really late into the night, I know for sure I'm not gonna wake up at seven. Like if I go to sleep at four, no way I'm waking up at seven. Mm-hmm. But I try not to let that kind of drag on and impact the rest of my day. So, you know, I might wake up like at nine or 10 latest, but I don't want to waste you know, whole like morning, right? I want to have that half of the day still to work with. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, you just got to keep going and pushing. <laughs> yeah. And you talked about like, if you were working on a painting, you might even stay up until four. Is it, I guess the process of your painting, is it kind of once you're in the zone, you you want to finish and you want to get what you have in mind on the canvas? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, time doesn't exist. Like when you're <laughs> painting like at least not when I'm painting um, <laughs> it's uh you know it's, it's like you said you get in the zone and there's no point in stopping if you feel like things are coming to you naturally you know you want to you know seize the opportunity to get your ideas down and mm-hmm. um also because it's like it's just most it's it's quiet throughout the night too you know because I, I paint in my dorm I, I've been painting in my dorm for the most part and if I try painting like in the morning or in the afternoon, there's going to be like a lot of noise going on around me. And, mm-hmm. um, but at night it's just very tranquil and I just feel like at one with my thoughts, you know? <laughs> yeah. Did you have roommates too? I had a roommate sophomore year, um, but he was very cool. He's really chill about it. So like, you know, um, mm-hmm. if I stay Alex? up late, yeah, it was Alex. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was pretty, he was pretty chill with it. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have space in your dorm to to do your artwork? Not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> like where, uh, where was your where was your residence hall or like what which hall was it? Yes, because I mean I so freshman year was John Jay. Then I stayed in um, McBain sophomore year, and then Shapiro last year. So mm. I think Shapiro might have been my smallest one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like it's quite literally I, I sleep where I paint right like my bed's right here my ears is like right here and then <laughs> it's a uh, probably I wouldn't recommend this though like long term you know because the especially with oil painting that the fumes might accumulate over time so not the Do best you always have your window open <laughs> yeah I try to keep it open as much as possible oh wow that's so cool yeah I thought maybe do you also use I guess are there access to studios at Columbia yeah, there are, but it's just like, I feel like it's just, one, it's just like not that much room. Like it gets crowded very easily. And then two, it's just like, I don't want to drag my stuff there every time. So is that a lot of stuff? Uh, I mean, oil paint can get kind of heavy, you know, like we you have your easel, your canvas, all your supplies, mm-hmm. like, um, 
you know, and like I wear my like I wear my art like painting outfit as well. It's like freshman year I used to go to Dodge to paint, and like people just see this crazy like colorful like clothing guy just like walking around with a bunch of art supplies. Um, and it's just like you know it's just too much work, so I decide mm -hmm. I'll stay in my dorm. Yeah. Is Dodge not the fitness center, right? Like Dodge the other uh, hall. Yeah, yeah. So it's Dodge the 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 visual arts hall. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like there's it's called Dodge Hall, and we also have a Dodge Fitness Center, which is yeah. I guess talking about your experiences outside of class, um, like you paint individually. Is it for your own projects? Is it for classes? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's really like at least during the school year, it's a combination of both, you know, um, because you, obviously I, I take visual arts classes and so some projects will be for um, school assignments, but sometimes they can, you know, apply to both categories, right? I, I consider some projects like a personal project, but I also use it for, you know, school assignments. So um, it's like interchangeable really, but um, I think for the most part, I like to focus on my own projects. Um, just because like, um, not to like, not to like, you know, you know, uh, criticize the visual arts department, like curriculum or whatever, but it's just like, sometimes I feel like um, I want to be, able, I want to have more, I want to have more control of what I want to paint. And sometimes mm -hmm. the assignments are just like kind of like small sketching or studies or assignments, like small assignments that you would turn in like as a class project, not necessarily as a work of art. And so, mm -hmm. um, but I mean, like, you know, it's just, again, it's all like intertwined really. And so, uh, but you know, now that I'm graduating, it's like everything will be like a personal project. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you think that the visual arts major at Columbia requires previous knowledge of like previous background in art? Or do you think if someone gained a new interest in art going into college, do you think that they'd be able to to do well? Yeah, I, yeah absolutely. I don't think of, visual arts background is really necessary. Um, I think the, the, the program is really good at welcoming new new students, new minds. And so that's why you see a lot of students like doing a visual arts concentration, you know, mm -hmm. um, kind of for fun because they want to just like dabble into it and like just take some classes that pique their interests. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like, again, it's like they're not really heavy on just like the technical skill you have. They want to really just help you develop um, a thought process um, and a thinking process for how you want to approach your art, you know? Mm, yeah. Cool. Did you take Art Hum your first year? Art Humanity? Yeah. Yeah. I was placed in Art Hum because I think it's because I was like a visual arts student. So like they, mm -hmm. they automatically place you in the Art Hum class. You have to have like, I guess it's just like easier if you have that your first year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for those who might not know, Art Hum is our Art Humanities class. So it's Masterpieces of Western Art. And it's part of the core curriculum. So we have like Western piece, Western piece, masterpieces of Western music and also Lit Hum and CC. So those are part of the, the standardized core for Columbia College. Um, and so I took Art Hum this past semester. So I'm newly educated in Western art, um, not in the technical skill, but just about like the different types of artists and different like eras of art. We learned about, I guess different types, right? Like impressionism and now like pop art what type of artist would you describe yourself as what is your style hmm, I mean it's it's tough to really pinpoint I think it's definitely a 
an intersection of different um, genres and inspirations. Um, I would say maybe like a impressionistic narrative realism, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because like I'm not so like I'm not really like into um, pure classical realism. Um, I think that's that's a foundation for how I start a lot of my pieces, but. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like style and like other visual elements that are imbued in my work. I think I like to draw inspiration from, you know, the Impressionists and some pop art and contemporary art um, references as well. Um, So it's really just a mixture of a lot of things. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think especially artists nowadays, they, I don't, I don't think they want to like really categorize themselves into a a specific, era that's been predefined you know mm-hmm. i think because it art is always changing it's always evolving right so <laughs> oh that's cool that's like because you can form your kind of own genre i mean that's basically how the other era started right you kind of break away yeah, tradition yeah. and you start your own thing yeah exactly mm-hmm. talking about your your classical training how intense was that do you think it is a good idea to start with the classical training and kind of get those, get that foundation and then move on to your own stuff? You know, I think that's like generally how, um, at least a lot of like my artist friends and artists I know in the, in the art community, that's how a lot of them started as well. They, um, you know, you start off learning how to draw um, accurately, so to say. And then once you've like, it, it kind of like really exemplifies the notion of, you know, once you know the rules, you can break the rules, right? And so, um but i hate the i hate to use the word rules as well because there really are no (laughs) are no rules in art um and for me like classical training i didn't actually start off from the very beginning with a classical training background like for the for me it was just kind of like um i just did art like i didn't attempt to learn a specific method i just did art um and quite frankly i didn't know what i was doing with paint and color i just kind of just threw stuff on the canvas um so it wasn't really until like probably like later in my life where I had this motivation to kind of um, take a step back and like go do more formal training for a bit and then kind of branch off a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people always say drawing is like the grandfather of every medium. And I, I do believe that, you know, you learn how to draw. Um, and when you learn how to draw, at the same time, you're learning how to see, you learn how to interpret your surroundings. And so once you can do that, um, everything else becomes like a uh, a branch off from that. So um, there's no right way to like t- undergo your artistic training. Um, but I would say, you know, as long as you have some kind of idea of where you want to go with your art, that's what matters most. Mm-hmm. It's like a close reading of real life, basically. Like you're, <laughs> you need to, there's so many details that I feel, I guess the human eye kind of glosses over if you're not paying attention. And to actually capture that on, in paint or in a drawing takes mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of skill and and time and dedication. I feel. Yeah. And one of our projects for Art Home was designing a still life and then not even painting it, just taking a photograph of it and then explaining the process. And that was uh, when I first realized it takes a lot of time to curate a a design that looks appealing to the eye and also has some meaning. So how do you how do you go about that process and how do you go about choosing your subjects and 
and deciding what to paint. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I'll say that, that that sounds like a fun assignment. Like yeah, my art home so class. Fun. Yeah, my art home, home class wasn't that exciting, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, like I think we're kind of we're kind of getting into a, you know this topic of composition and design, and so uh, for me, it's like I I I always strive to look for visual dialogue. Um, and so when I, when I say visual dialogue, I think of like either just position or things that really complement one another. And so that's, I think that's naturally what our eyes are drawn to, right? And, you know, looking beyond just a still life, it could be anything you see around you. It could be like, you know, um, like apples on a tree, right? Like apples on a tree, the, the leaves, the apples, the sky, if you see something interesting going on with the shapes and designs and, you know, when you're looking at that, like you can easily form a composition out of something that seems so mundane to a lot of people, but you can easily make that into a work of art. And so um, I think the key is, the key, at, at least for me, has been to not look at things as they are, like not look at, not, not identify things as people would normally identify them as like, but rather looking at those objects as shapes um, because, you know, you can make anything as artists, you, you have the ability to make anything look pleasing to the eye. And, you know, if I'm doing like a cityscape or still life, like if I'm doing a cityscape, right? Like I don't, I don't care about the details. I don't care like what car is being driven in front of me. Like, I don't care if it's a Honda or a Civic or whatever, like, to me, it's just a shape. They're all just shapes, right? And if it's appealing to my eye, it's something I want to capture. And so um, that would be like my um, tip on how to kind of compose your um, your frame. Like just look for visual dialogue, look for interesting things. Um, you know, don't just, don't, don't stick to just like, you know, this is a still life. I have to make it look like a still life. Um, think about, think about the objects as shapes and how they interact with one another. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's very, it's a very abstract way of thinking, but eventually these ideas kind of, you know, um, they, they gain substance eventually when you really think about and flesh out these ideas, so. Mm -hmm. Do you take a lot of inspiration from, I guess the landscapes around you, like being in the city, has that influenced your, your choices and your compositions? Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially um, being in New York, like New York is, you know, decorated with lights and all these other, you know, attractions and um, designs on buildings here and there, right? Like it's, um, I, I, I like I like to include those in my pieces. Like if I'm painting, you know, like figurative art or like city art, like to me, again, like these lights and everything are just shapes, but they're, they're aesthetic shapes that I like to include in my painting. And so, um, you know, I don't, again, I don't view when I'm, you know, taking reference pictures or whatever, I don't view the composition through my viewfinder as, you know, this is a, this is a cityscape. This is a street. This is just like an empty, this is a space filled with shapes that all kind of harmonize one another. Um, and so, you know, you guys, stop thinking of, of things like from a reality standpoint, <laughs> if that makes sense, and just be a little bit more imaginative when you're viewing things, mm -hmm. yeah. Can you walk through, like, would you set down, would you take a picture first or would you paint outside even? And then like, how do you 
choose which shapes to include? Or I don't know if these questions are making sense, but I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you know, like I think a lot of times for my paintings, at least my bigger, more formal projects, I'll I'll start off with like a small study. And sometimes this means like actually going into like the city or going into nature and like mm-hmm. bringing my easel, like plain air painting and doing a study on site because, you know, I, I do believe in on actually, you know, getting a feel for your subject and understanding what exactly you're trying to paint, right? Um, same thing for like, you know, portraits and figurative art. Like if I'm painting someone and like, let's say I get a commission for like a large, you know, portrait painting or whatever, like I might start off with like a, with a smaller version of that and like maybe even ask the model or the subject to like come and sit in for me so I can actually observe what's in front of me. Um, I find that to be like a much uh, better approach and it lays the foundation for how I want to complete the piece because once you've done something one time, it becomes easier the second time. And so I do a small study often and then I feel like I have a good grasp for what I'm about to paint. Mm -hmm. I start the big one, everything feels more natural to me. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of just analyzing and studying that goes into the planning process before you actually begin the piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's not like a formulaic approach to um, finding the right composition, but sometimes you just gotta go out there and like, um, you know, just paint something, paint something and I think you'll get an idea, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's cool. It's like, in a, like, just very similar to writing too. If you're, if you are, you have this general idea of what you want to write, but you, I don't know, you, I always have a hard time getting started. I feel like getting started is the most important step mm-hmm. to take and basically just getting your thoughts down. And then that's kind of like your first draft, I guess you would say like of your artwork. And then your final composition is, is when you actually curate it in a way that is that makes sense and that that is intentional exactly like, i mean just just do it like just do it start it it doesn't matter if it's if you think it's good or bad just do it go through like 10 trial runs i always tell people like you know i'd rather make 10 bad paintings in the beginning and then land on the perfect one on the 11th try you know like mm. you know i think it's i'd rather like just not be stubborn and just like start doing things and like do a lot of trial and error and figure out what works best before I delve into um, the formal piece. So you, you just gotta keep experimenting. Not not every artist will show all their work because like I have I have you know hundreds of just like random pieces lying around on the ground that I don't want to share because it's just like a bunch of like failed attempts. Mm-hmm. But for me, like those kind of lay the foundation for future work. Um, yeah. And so you know, there's no. There's no, there's no success without the struggle, right? Like you got to go do a lot of attempts first. So, And we always uh, see like when we're going to galleries or when we're going to museums, we always see the, I guess like generally we see the final product and only the final product. And we aren't aware that there are probably exponentially more pieces that have been started or not been finished or have been just like various drafts of those final products. I felt that's just really, really cool, cool to think about just the, the entire process in addition to what we're seeing. Do you have any current pieces that you're working on? Yeah, uh, so I mean, uh, you know, being in quarantine, like just back home, um, 
does have its benefits for me actually because I I have more access to like my full studio setup. Mm -hmm. Um, it just feels a lot more uh, luxurious than my uh, dorm room setup, mm -hmm. and so. Um, but the limitations are, you know, I can't really go out and like take pictures and do stuff um, to find references for my ideas. Um, and so a lot of my pieces recently have been like interior pieces and painting, um, you know, aspects of everyday life because that's kind of just like what we're all, um, you know, just settled in right now. Just like we were all living either with our family or like close close relatives and we're just, you know, we're seeing each other every day. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of been like um, a theme that's that threads my recent work. Um, they're all like interior pieces using sometimes my dad as a, as a model, you know, and like um, it's, but I'm enjoying it though. It's, um, it's, a, it's a different approach from my previous work. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a nice chance to just settle down and like, you know, um, control the pace a little bit more because during the school year things kind of just mm -hmm. get in the way and um I have a I feel like I have a much clearer mind being at home and just like settling down in one spot so mm -hmm. how long would you say it takes to to complete a final painting uh, I mean it depends it really yeah it's like so one obviously is size right but two oh. it's just like how much um that work means to you really um sometimes a more emotional piece for me like will drag on for like months because i i've quite literally feel like each brush stroke is like me pouring my um thoughts onto the canvas right mm -hmm. and then you have like other works that are just like small studies like gestural studies that you do here and there just to kind of you know keep your brushwork in shape just to practice here and there. And then those eventually just, those eventually just get tossed around the studio and who knows where they go. But like, oh. you know, um, yeah. So that's the difference between like a smaller, like just less formal piece and like a more, um, more fully fleshed out project. Um, and again, like kind of just going on what we were talking about earlier. If you, if you really want to talk about how much time goes into a piece, like, you can you can count the hours spent actually in the studio and then you can count the hours you know spent gathering reference pictures and then planning and then you know going through small trial runs right those those add up a lot and so um you know a lot of, uh, again a lot of time goes into any work of art really there's there's this one uh picasso story i don't know you, you might have heard of it the, the picasso cafe story where he like where a fan like asks him for this drawing he made on a napkin in the cafe. And then he said he'd be willing to sell it for like, I don't know, $10,000 or whatever, or 10,000, like in whatever currency they were using. Mm -hmm. And then um, that, that other person was like outraged, like, well, you spent 30 seconds drawing that. But his reply was, no, this took me 10 years because Ooh. it took me 10 years to get to this point of being able to draw like this. And so mm -hmm. that's another way to think about just like time and art and how much effort goes into an artist's, you know, creation. Because again, we see the final product, but we don't see the behind the scenes. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I like the moral behind that story though. Yeah, I remember also learning again about Picasso. I think when he was, I mean, when he was a child, he said he was able to draw like Raphael, is that right? And then it took him his entire career to be able to 
draw like a child, like he put mm-hmm. it, or draw, make art in the way that he does. Yeah. So it is, it's interesting because he did, I guess that is counts as a classical training background. And then he evolved to have his own style and it basically took him his entire life. And he was still involving while he was working. He definitely broke, he definitely learned the rules and broke them immediately. You know, like, <laughs> um, but I actually went to the Picasso Museum in uh, Madrid, like uh-huh. a few years ago. And I, so I got to see like his early childhood work and mm-hmm. it's like, this dude was insane. Like really? for him to like, I mean, I think like his level of work at like age seven is like my current level of work, if not greater. Like I think just the technical like skill he had, like this, this dude was just straight up gifted, like from the start, like he was, he was that good. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you also like in the museum, you also see his later work, you know, when he gets older, like the more abstract stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you, you after you tour the whole museum it's like wow you 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 see the whole timeline of his artistic career and like it's just amazing like how much you know he evolved over time and like just how much talent he had from the beginning though like it was quite shocking yeah yeah and if you look at his even if you just google his self-portrait evolution it's completely different you can see how he how he has evolved i'm sure like looking at it in person in madrid would have been a lot nicer um, than yeah. just looking online, but but yeah, same, similar idea. Do you have any specific artists that you look up to or that you you learned a lot from? Or I guess people that you know or people just like famous people in general? Yeah, definitely. Um, off the top of my head, just famous people. So again, Picasso, um, Monet, Rembrandt. Um, and these are like, just all like very, big names like just like you know old european like masters <laughs> but on top of that you know i i enjoy um some of the more like recent artists like um antonio lopez and you and Uglo, if these names sound familiar and then um you know frida kahlo as well frida kahlo was um definitely a pioneer for her time and um let's see what else sergeant um I think he was like kind of like um he took portrait painting to like a different level. Um it's uh there there there's just so many great artists that she was from and yeah. Our honestly like our hum was a good um, was a good way to expose me to a lot more artists outside the Western canon, obviously. <laughs> studying these artists in addition to studying their work is kind of studying their life story and how they got to be like how they develop their own style. I feel like a lot of it has to do with personal influences, like definitely like familial influences. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of time and skill and just like dedicating your whole life to it um, is very, very respectable, I think. For people who are looking into getting into art, I know maybe a barrier is that they don't really know what to start with. Like, how do you start with buying paints? What canvases do you choose? What is your recommendation on like the basic necessities or basic recommended um, materials to start your art career with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so again, like I think um, art, just like any field right now, it's just it can become very commercialized, and um, oftentimes, like you know, it's it's a it's a business, really, right? And so a lot of like arts and crafts like chain stores you see it nowadays where like you know 
people who want to start going into the arts, they'll go to these chain stores because that's the first thing they think of and they, they buy whatever's on the shelf, right? Mm-hmm. Um, nothing wrong with that because it's a good, you know, you, you want to start off with basic tools to work with and just practice with. But at the same time, like, they're just like, um, you know, they, they just do a lot of like BS around there, honestly, like when how they market their material, like they'll tell you like, this is like a beginner's like starter mm-hmm. kit. This is the intermediate kit. This is the master's kit. That doesn't, that doesn't exist. Like that's just, that's just nonsense. Mm-hmm. A master can work with the beginner's kit and make something great, right? Like it's, I think it's more about kind of, um, again, not, not relying on what, advertisements and social media tells you but kind of again reaching out to other people and like i mentioned earlier you know leveraging your circle your network and talking to other people who are more experienced in the arts um, asking them how they got started what supplies you know they use um because you know art supplies also are are, they can get expensive really easily right so (laughs) you want to you know if you're a beginner you don't want to invest in like you know a lot of like really expensive oil paint and like a giant like H-frame easel, whatever, you know, start small with like a small tripod easel, maybe start with acrylic paint um, or if you're completely new to art, you know, try graphite or like charcoal or some other dry medium just to practice sketching. Um, and just, you know, kind of be diligent and keep working on, keep working on things. Um, um, and then, Lastly, just, you know, always have humility. Never never blame the tools or supplies. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I'll be honest, like sometimes in the past when like, I don't like the way something turned out, I'll be like, oh, it's because this paint is old. Or it's all, oh, it's because this is like, not that it's really cheap, like, you know, brand of paint. Um, but um, it's not, it's not about the paint or the brand. It's more about the artist. And so mm-hmm. learn to just kind of hone in your skills a bit, um, working with decently, quality supplies and then you know just like anything once you start really once you start getting better invest in more supplies over time and just like slowly upgrade yourself yeah I agree with that I think like same with like video filming and editing it's like Mm, oh I don't have this fancy camera so that's why my my video doesn't look good but it's really I mean it's based on like you, you can make make a good product with the stuff that you have. And then as you progress, as you, as you become more and more invested, be like, okay, maybe I should invest in a new camera, but I feel like working with, I'm working with my iPhone right now and my laptop camera and every, I feel like everything's going okay. So yeah. um, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's what people call gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> like, you know, I, I feel like I used to have that as well, but I've, I've slowed down a little bit over the years. Like I realized I only use like one or two lenses really mm-hmm. most of the time. And so I don't need to like keep buying more gear, but um, yeah. it's helpful though as an artist though, to document your work, of course. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's not everything. Mm-hmm. And what do you think are next steps for you after graduation? Cause you're a senior, right? And you're graduating in the spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just continue developing my career. Like, you know, just, it's, you know, you learn as an artist, you eventually learn to work on, you know, branding yourself and marketing yourself. Um, not every artist starts off with that kind of business mindset. You start off as an artist because you want to make art. Mm-hmm. And eventually you kind of, you know, introduce the the more professional side of it. And then you just start, um, you know, 
applying your like you know just professional you know networking skills and just like <laughs> reaching out to galleries and mm-hmm. entering competitions you know all that good stuff and so yeah that's something i just plan on continue doing and then you know we'll we'll see where it takes me i mean it's um the art life isn't easy but you know it's the it's the joy of creating that keeps most artists going i think mm-hmm. yeah do you have experience with competing or with galleries yeah so i mean um you know i i do sell my work in galleries and you know i've obviously uh been been in competitions and like exhibitions here and there um i would say like in college it's a little, it's a little bit tougher just because like no one expects like a full-time college student to also be like meeting the same standards as a full-time professional artist like you know doing both at the same time is like really it's really difficult <laughs> um but you know i think it's just like you just gotta try your best and like um you know don't be afraid to put your work out there just enter as many competitions as possible um it's it's honestly kind of like job apps if you think about it. like if, if like you're just like you know you play the numbers game you know you're gonna win some competitions here and there and then um but that's how every artist starts i think you know you you just try to get your name out there because there's so many talented artists in the world um but now it's like the difference maker quite literally is social media and the World Wide web so making a an instagram post do you put a lot of thought into that yeah i'm, I'm quite meticulous when it comes to instagram posting like i like just oh, i refuse to everything yeah i mean I, i'm not i'm not too concerned about like the theme and like you know having like a united like aesthetic to my feed i think that's more of an influencer mindset which i absolutely hate but for me it's like again i really try to maintain like a certain standard of quality when i upload pictures of my art um and that means you know obviously having a good high quality picture taken with a you know dslr camera and then you know thinking about like um you know am i posting because i want this is something i'm proud of or is it posting because i feel the need to post right mm-hmm. and i want to post things because it's something i want to share i think it's something that's worthy of being shared with my audience not mm-hmm. for the sake of like growing my page right that's mm-hmm. um again more of an influencer mindset but nowadays honestly it's hard to kind of just like avoid that because you realize you kind of have to find a way to grow on social media so um it's a yeah it's an interesting reconciling act for me um yeah for sure yeah yeah i i understand the the balance it's like if i don't keep putting out content if i don't keep like showing my work people will not be attracted to my page and they won't be able to see what i really want them to see so yeah yeah mm-hmm. do you think that your business minor or concentration right do you think that's mm-hmm. that's helpful or for your future or what you want to do uh, i think um so there are like definitely practical classes in that concentration um that i think anyone um sh- I, i think everyone should be familiar with so i like, can you know, just like accounting and like general like management skills leadership skills um and it's a good it's a good um complementary um you know feel study for artists i think especially because they're not the artists know most artists know now that they have to have a good like uh, a general business background to be able to run their business whether you know they themselves are the business or like they're running like a creative business like agency or whatever um so yeah it's a 
it's a useful concentration. Um, and then more importantly, it's like the the network you build from it because obviously it's like it's integrated into the business school, and so you get to you know meet with professors and like learn just. Gain, gain insight from their experiences. So it's a, it's a good program. Where do you see yourself in, I'll say like 10 years or five years even, if you already, if you already know? Uh, I mean, I don't see myself stopping anything that I'm doing now, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's, it's hard to kind of just set up milestones, um, especially with something like art, because it's just so organic. Like you can't really say I'm going to be like a, internationally represented artists by age 25 or whatever right like it's um it's something you kind of just have to keep working on and just like you know you take advantage of every opportunity you have and so um but ideally yes i'd like to be a self-sustaining artist eventually and be able to just sell my work and have a good community you know of artists that i'm friends with so Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we'll we'll see how it goes though (laughs) Do you plan on, I guess, staying in the city, or do you, is there another another area that you ever would like to explore? Uh, I think I mean New York seems like just the most exciting place to be right now. I think, well, not right now. I, I don't know about right now, but <laughs> um, for artists, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a good place to be though for sure. It's um, much more exciting than Houston, which is where I am right now. Um, but again, Houston's like it's a comfort home, you know, it's a good, it's a nice place to settle down. So, um, yeah. Definitely. Okay. So can we move on to some more lighthearted slash fun questions just to kind of end the podcast, um, on some interesting, interesting fun facts about Anton. Um, (laughs) so I have some down. I think I'm going to think of some on the spot as well, but first question um how much do you lift bro for your fitness fans out there uh quite literally seven days a week but usually it sits nowadays more like sits because i've understood the importance of rest periods mm. and so six days is optimal for me yeah oh what do you do on your rest day just like active rest you know get other like random miscellaneous things done out of the way mm. and then um, now that I'm home doing more household chores on the Sundays, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. vacuuming and stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you, do you track macros? Is that? Okay? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you want to go down the bodybuilding route, yes, absolutely. Track your macros. If not, um, do intuitive eating. So, um, the approach would be like, it will be called if it fits your macros. So like, having a general sense of what you're consuming on a daily basis and making sure you more or less hit your target macro um, amounts. Um, I think that approach works for most people who aren't exactly going to go down the bodybuilding route, but want to like, you know, be, be more fit. Right. Um, so it's kind of like an all or nothing approach for me, you know, either you track it or you don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely think that you have to, try it out like if you like it then and it's sustainable for you then go for it but if it's not and you're struggling with it and your like mental health is suffering from it then like <laughs> no, like do yeah. what makes you happy i think it's not for, it's not for everybody I, yeah. yeah it's definitely not for everybody mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah for sure let me see what other questions what's your favorite place on campus slash around campus 
to hang out to to do work or anything like that Ooh, uh hmm favorite place on or around campus like i was gonna say chipotle because like it's like it's just like it's such a it's like a happy place for me after a workout because i can just like walk there and be like hey i don't have to cook i have a nice meal i can buy there um okay What's your order your usual order chicken bowl um brown rice black beans veggies <laughs> half on the sour cream corn <laughs> lettuce medium no hot sauce i have it all memorized though it's like i'm like a regular there so if i go there like they they can pretty much predict my order so really that's so funny yeah. I'm, I'm sure i have a better place on campus i actually like to be but i just can't think of one right now <laughs> what's your favorite library to study in or do you study in uh, I try not to study in libraries because I feel like it's more distracting than helpful honestly like <laughs> but um I like the what do you call it Skirmerhorn library uh there's a is that on like a top floor well actually no not no okay. see this is what happens when you're away from campus for so long um the what's the name of the building? but it's like right in front of Skirmerhorn the library I that's think I there. know what you're talking about Avery is that right? Uh, Avery, Avery Hall, in, yes, Avery the, Hall. Oh, right when you walk in, right? Yeah, yeah. In, the, there's a cafe in, in, in the, the basement, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, Avery, I think it's like a graduate, not, actually, I don't really know what it is, but I had office hours in there before, so. Yeah. I kind of, I do like that <laughs> library. It's very peaceful. I don't think too many people go there. I mean, like the yeah, one yeah. is Butler, so everyone goes to Butler, basically, but then there's also niche libraries around campus in different buildings which yeah recommend, definitely. recommend like finding your own space mm -hmm. um favorite dining hall uh, ooh, okay well on on sundays the the barnard one oh um, do it because yeah because yeah because they have like i think really nice they usually have like salmon or some other like really nice um tasty protein option on sunday lunches like around that time otherwise i would probably say um ferris because it has just the reliable pasta station <laughs> yeah. yeah i i think my first year since i lived in fernald and ferris was right next to it ferris was my go-to Except on Sundays, they're closed. So I went to John Jay. But then my sophomore uh, yeah. year, I went to Hewitt more often because they do have nice food there. And it's mm, like a uh, big, yeah. big, spacious area to eat in. Yeah. For sure. Let's see. What else? Oh, favorite dorm that you've lived in so far? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say none of them. But, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, McBain was nice because we actually got the biggest floor on biggest room on our floor so that was nice i guess yeah sophomore year would I, oh that was sophomore year was only like one or two semesters ago i lived in hartley i did the the llc so i applied uh, to be yeah. a sophomore in the first usually it's a first year dorm but mm -hmm. um yeah that was a good experience oh do you have recommendations for follow along workouts if you do those or if you believe in those like on youtube YouTube workout. Oh, um, so there's like, yeah, there's obviously YouTube workouts. Like I see people all the time at the gym, like 
they have like these videos, like YouTube videos, like playing on their phone and just following along. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's kind of stupid, if I'm being honest. Like, I think <laughs> it's, um, it's like anytime there's a device nearby, it's just distracting. So oh. um, I'd rather have like, I'd rather do like the old fashioned way of writing down my workout and just like checking things off as I go. Oh. Um, yeah, the other options like swipe workouts, which are pretty popular on Instagram, like for pretty much every fitness influencer, like they'll post like a workout, like a carousel workout videos and like people save them and whatnot. So, but they're not that helpful after a certain point because they all become the same. They're all just like repeated, uh -huh. you know, re recycled material. So, yeah. um, but yeah, if you're, if you're trying to follow a workout, just don't overcomplicate things. Learn about the fundamental exercises. Learn about like your standard compound lifts and like how to like just you know complement those you know and then just don't try and re reinvent the wheel. Just stick to the basics and then continuously challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. I will say though, I'm guilty of using follow along workouts, but it's because I feel like it gives me more motivation when someone is there to. I feel like maybe I just need a stronger foundation in the movement, mm -hmm. but maybe it's like. I feel like it's like you have someone there and you'd be like, oh, I don't have to keep track of how many how many reps I'm doing or how, how much time I'm putting on it. Um, and just like look at them and see what they're doing and then look in the mirror and be like, am I, am I doing this right? I mean, if you, if you enjoy it, do it. Like nothing wrong with it. It's yeah. just not my, not my style. That's mm -hmm. just, yeah. For sure, for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have any just general advice or or words of wisdom that you want to leave future artists slash bodybuilders with or people who are just applying to college or in college in, right now and trying to balance everything? For people entering college, so I know it's a really weird transition right now given COVID, you're entering an online university, but um, my two cents would be just, this is the time to really kind of discover yourself as cheesy as that sounds um i didn't know how much i would you know love what i'm currently doing until i got into college and so in high school i think when you in, when you're in that environment you kind of just there's so many other like external influences like expectations you know your parents you know kind of wanting you to like go to a good school and like you know perhaps follow the traditional you know route of getting you know, go to a good school, get a degree, get a good job, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, I think those, those can be good or bad influences in a way. Um, and they kind of just like, um, for me, at least it gave me this tunnel vision where I couldn't think outside of that. Like all, all I was focused on was getting into a school like Columbia. And then, but once I got in, I realized there's so much, <laughs> there's so much more to life that you can do. And so, you know, if you're like an incoming uh, Columbia freshman, just you know, take this time to um, meet other your meet your classmates, meet your peers, and just like think of ways you can um, just work on cool projects or do cool things in the next couple of years. You know, don't waste these next four years. Mm -hmm. um, and then for people who are into um, bodybuilding or art like me, um, persevere. That's that's my advice. Persevere. Um, because results aren't immediate, you know, like, um, I think everyone's just, a lot of people nowadays are trying to, they believe there's an elevator to the top, but really, um, 
I, I believe in taking each step at a time, you know, climbing the stairs and, you know, taking each failure or, you no, know, here's me going, entering like my motivational coach mode, but here, okay, here I go. But um, basically just, basically just, um, you know, don't, don't think of an easy way out. You know, if you're, if you're an artist, don't think about, you know, there's a one way approach to doing this. Um, because I used to be, you know, back when I was just starting up, I used to be an artist as well who asked other artists I admired, like, you know, what kind of paper do you use for this? Like, what brush, what exact brushes do you use? Like, how, how exactly do you achieve this effect? Like, you know, I, I would say forget all that. Um, work on yourself, you know, work on developing, um, you know, your artistic approach. And, you know, you don't have to ask for specifics from other people because, mm-hmm. you know, the in the end, the mo- most important asset you have as an artist is your eye and your ability to, to see right once you're able to see i think that the possibilities are are endless um and then if you're a bodybuilder just don't even think about the fast way out like don't think about like you know i won't say it but just like be consistent you know mm-hmm. and then you'll see the results over time um and don't get discouraged if you don't see results immediately it really does take time like 10 10 years from now like you know, I, I hope that I will be in a better shape than I am now. But even then, like five years, it took me five years to get to this point where I'm like, I'm somewhat proud of my, what I've accomplished. So, you know, take your time, be patient um, and don't cut corners. Mm-hmm. No shortcuts in life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great note to end off on. Is there anything that you want to plug or you anyone you want to shout out? at the um in this episode uh let's see well shout out to you caroline for having me on this <laughs> podcast um let's see i mean shout out to all my mentors in life all my art teachers that i've had um especially my high school art teachers um they're the ones who kind of just really you know they're the ones who really believed in my potential and so that they're part of the reason where i am now Mm-hmm. um shout out to all my lifting bros um <laughs> who especially at columbia who i've gotten to just you know be good friends with and just who you know we always inspire one another so that's good mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean um and if you want to follow along with my work you can check me out at antonsoart.com or instagram antonsoart and then my other page is anton.so, which is where I post more of my uh, bodybuilding and personal stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, I try my best to be as, um, to educate on those platforms and use it for good, you know? And so if you want to check it out, um, I'd be happy for you to do that. So yeah, for sure. And definitely yeah. will be linked in the description below. So definitely check that out. Um, Yeah. And thank you so much again, Anton. And thank you to our listeners who hopefully learned a lot from this episode. Um, If you're watching this as a YouTube video podcast, be sure to like, comment and subscribe. And if you're listening to this on any other streaming platform, then be sure to like and follow as well. And thank you again, Anton. Um, Check out his social media links in the description below. And we'll see you in the next episode. Oh, wait, we almost forgot. Anton, do you want to do um, a high five, virtual high five? I'm trying this thing out in these episodes. Now. <laughs> so it's hard because we don't really know which side we're on. <laughs> I'm on the 
bottom now, but I'm on like the right in the recording, but we'll just, we'll figure it out. We'll try it. Ready? Uh, wait, so we're just like smacking our camera essentially? Smack the left or right. We'll try both ways. Okay, ready? Do you want to go to your, oh gosh, My... your left. Okay, so I'm here. Yeah, uh-huh. Ready? Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Clap. <laughs> oh, so I go, I, I go this. Oh, okay, I see. You want to clap like on the, mm -hmm. the screen. The, so, yeah. Okay. Okay, ready? Sideways. Okay. <laughs> Three, two, one. Clap. And then we'll try it. And then you go the same way. Actually. Oh, this is so confusing. We'll try it. Yeah, I'll try it. You go the same way. I'll go this way. Ready? Three, two, mm -hmm. one. Clap. <laughs> I missed that one, but it's okay. Um, I think that was good enough, but yeah. Okay. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.